Satoshi, Nakamoto Satoshi, who apparently invented Bitcoin and the blockchain, his experiment of using Bitcoin to drive the blockchain has pretty much failed. Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. Well, I hope you're all well. I'm going to discuss something on this episode in place of our regular guest interview. And we've lots of great guests coming up in the next episodes. Uh, We can talk about that in a moment. My attention was got by a headline this week in the Wall Street Journal, Why America Should Ban Crypto. I was kind of stunned because crypto had somewhat disappeared from the headlines amidst the fallout from the massive collapse of the FTX crypto exchange and Sam Bankman-Fried. And it'll, of course, re-emerge as a news item in the coming weeks as more is learned of the major debacle. Charlie Monger is a very influential Wall Street figure. He has his finger in the financial pulse of the goings-on in financial services and in financial investments across the globe and here in America. And he is vice chairman of the massive Berkshire Hathaway, the Oracle of Omaha, Warren Buffett's empire. So, on page A15 of the Wall Street Journal on February the 2nd, Charlie has a piece, Why America Should Ban Crypto. Um, I'm going to sort of quote from it quite liberally, and then I'm going to share some thoughts, and then a rebuttal offered um, by a crypto defender, and then I'm going to get to something that's quite disturbing. There's a theory floating around now that Bitcoin is being artificially propped up, that there's some kind of a bizarre cartel or group or people out there doing sort of dastardly things to keep the value of Bitcoin up. And this comes from a study by a quite a, an important finance professor at a big college. People take him seriously and he crunches numbers and we'll get to that in a moment. Anyway, Charlie Munger starts his article by saying, in the US in recent years, privately owned companies have issued thousands of new cryptocurrencies, large and small. These have later become publicly traded without any governmental pre-approval of disclosures. So far, I'm with you, Charlie. In some cases, he says, a big block of cryptocurrency has been sold to a promoter for almost nothing, after which the public buys in at much higher prices without fully understanding the pre-dilution in favour of the promoter. I'm with you there, Charlie, pretty much more or less. All this wild and woolly capitalism is much like that described in a remark often attributed to Mark Twain. You all know who Mark Twain is, Tom Sire's fame and all of that. Uh, Mark Twain, who was thought to have said that a mine is a hole for the ground with a liar on top. 
Let me repeat that. A mine is a hole in the ground with a liar on top. Charlie Munger goes on, such wretched excess has gone on because there is a gap in regulation. He's right there. Charlie is correct. A cryptocurrency, he says, is not a cryptocurrency, not a commodity and not a security. He goes on, instead, it's a gambling contract with a nearly 100% edge for the house entered into in a country where gambling contracts are traditionally regulated only by states that compete in laxity. Charlie adds, obviously the US should now enact a new federal law that prevents this from happening. I'm going to skip on to the last paragraph and um, we'll pick it up from there. What should the US do after a ban on cryptocurrency is in place? Charlie Munger asks in his Wall Street Journal piece. He explains, one more action might make sense. Thank the Chinese communist leader for his splendid example of uncommon sense. What is he talking about there? Here it is. In the first president, according to Charlie Munger, again from his piece, the communist government of China recently banned cryptocurrencies because it wisely concluded that they would provide more harm than benefit. And he gets into all kinds of historical stuff about wild financial manias in the past, one in particular, let's say. Anyway, that was quite significant that he mentioned uh, China banning, because there was this fear that China was going to create, or may still create, some kind of a crypto digital currency we don't know if that's off the table and it's uh, creating the concern that it could become some kind of a de facto reserve type of currency in air quotes i don't know what to make fully of charlie munger's piece but i just found it significant that somebody from a large investment empire that wrote it right now and i'm just i, I suppose the timing has got to do with all the volatility in crypto the collapse of ftx the collapse of other platforms rumors and speculation and the regulators looking at crypto more in depth and obviously the plunge in crypto played into all of this and we'll just have to sit this out because i only have to say that coming from somebody of his eminence we gotta pay attention because he's been in this game a very long time. As they say on Wall Street, Charlie Munger is a respected veteran. And Charlie Munger is a Berkshire Hathaway vice chairman. Now, there was a strong rebuttal to Charlie, not a surprise, from defenders of the crypto market. One of the most interesting, in my mind, was from MicroStrategy Executive Chairman Michael sailor of CoinDesk. Well, I mean, I'd hardly expect them to support Charlie. So you have to know where these guys are coming from, where they have their finger in, what their vested interests are. And I'm not suggesting they're doing anything unacceptable or I'm not saying they're intending to give us bad information or, or bad advice or to guide us in a very bad way. But you'll have to weigh all this stuff up yourself, ultimately. This is... um what was reported about Sailor's counter to Charlie Munger. 
I'm just going to read this piece that was uh, published from his CNBC appearance. Charlie Munger and other elite business leaders are continually prodded for their opinions on Bitcoin, but they haven't had the time to study it, said MicroStrategy Executive Chairman Michael Saylor. Saylor said he is quote-unquote sympathetic to Munger's broad crypto criticisms and he called out the thousands of non-Bitcoin tokens as little more than avenues for gambling in sailors' words. Okay, well, at least there's some common ground. However, said um, this expert sailor, if Munger were a business leader in South Africa or Africa or Asia and he spent 100 hours studying the problem, he would be more bullish on Bitcoin than I am. And Saylor goes on to say, the plight of the common man is better illustrated by recent events in Lebanon, Argentina, Sri Lanka, Nigeria and Venezuela, where local currencies have plunged in value. Okay, nice try. And there may be some merit to that for investors, for people and residents of these countries worried about the value of their money plunging and hyperinflation worried about protecting their own assets i see where he's coming from and it does make perfect sense however i would just say to that crypto bitcoin is not in essence the solution or the answer it is and maybe to borrow a little bit from munger the problem it's the problem and it will be a problem until it's finally brought quote-unquote, into some kind of the mainstream, which would be counter to the radical thoughts of all the inventors of crypto and Bitcoin, because it's a kind of an underground anti-authoritarian currency, in air quotes, currency, and it's there as evidence of what happened in 2008 when the globe was on the verge of a major prolonged depression and we had the blockchain was coming into its own in its infancy let's say and then we had all these brainiacs coming up with ways to protect currencies and people were losing faith in democracies and government and then crypto and bitcoin all came into vogue but again that doesn't mean bitcoin or crypto is the answer or the solution it still may well be the problem. I'm going to come back to this in a moment after our weekly segment of Future Shock 2.0 with workforce trends expert Ira Wolf. And here I'm picking up with Ira on our theme from last week remote working. We can never get away from remote working and all the bizarre, maybe inexplicable series of natural disasters and how all of that is impacting the psychology and the practical implications of remote working and where we're at. So that's where we're at. Remote work is not disappearing and many employers are seeing the huge upside and benefits, even as many of them are drawing in workers back to the office. Yeah, when we think it's not only it's not only these these blizzards and these winter storms, it's flooding. In the summers, it's the hurricanes. I mean, we're having tornadoes in places that never had tornadoes. I mean, so climate's just changing. But but every time one of those events happens, they seem to be 
more severe, more widespread, more frequent. The Granted, going to work is not the most important thing when your house is being blown up or, yeah. or, or washed away or flooded. Um, but it, it, if it's safer for people to remain at home and get their work done, then there's no reason that that shouldn't happen. Thank you, Ira Wolf, for another brilliant segment of Future Shock 2.0. I just always love listening to Ira. He's so full of knowledge, information, stats. I mean, his mind totally amazes me. And just to remind you, he is a workforce trends expert, an author, a TEDx talker, a top five global thought leader, and he is constantly on the speaking circuit. And he's host of the ever popular Geeks, Geezers and Googleization podcast, which you should listen to every week. And you can also hear him on the podcast with Jason Cochran. Speaking of podcasts, tune in to every episode of the top-rated Odeon Capital Conversations podcast with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstein of Odeon Capital Group and with yours truly. If you want to hear the latest on what's going on in the world of inflation, the investment world, banking, the Federal Reserve, the money supply, unemployment, how they're all joined at the proverbial hip. You've got to listen into Odeon Capital Conversations up there on Apple, Spotify, Google and wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. And it's now a top ranked podcast in Canada, America, Europe and in Asia. Lots of listeners there in Hong Kong, I know. This week, Dick Beauvais shares some interesting analysis on the money supply. They hit a milestone and quite amazing. He's been looking at the, the huge growth and then the sudden drop in recent months. Found it very fascinating. I found it fascinating, the, the statistical note he shared. And it has massive implications for the future of where we're headed with, uh, with inflation. And Matt Van Alstein also shares uh, an interesting thought, and he's constantly beaten on this financial drum about the soaring federal debt and rising interest rates and why a train wreck could be coming if things don't go in a certain direction. You just have to listen to the latest episode of Odeon Capital Conversations to find out what that's all about. Anyway, we're going to conclude now on Bitcoin, crypto and so on, but we're going to hone in on Bitcoin and I'm going to borrow from the um, mighty insights of someone called John Griffin. He's a professor of finance at the University of Texas McCombs School of Business. And I'm going to quote somewhat from the recent issue of Fortune, an incredible piece by Sean Tully in Fortune magazine. You know, it opens up uh, and just grabs your attention like all of these well-written pieces. Back in 2017, John Griffin, a professor of finance at the University of Texas, um, McComb School of Business, noticed something strange. Griffin follows a totally different beat from typical business school finance profs who explore, say, how business cycles influence commodity prices or Fed policy sways the term structure of interest rates. 
the six foot two former high school football star. Love to meet this guy. I saw a photo, he's in great shape. Fuse himself as a crusader for good, immoral sleuth, who, as he tells fortune, looks to expose financial evil, to shed light on the world, and expose dark things in the markets. The article goes on after the great financial crisis. Griffin became a devout Christian. I presume there was a connection between the crisis and Griffin becoming a Christian or was it a coincidence and he had some kind of an existential crisis or something or was it the financial crisis? Anyway, he has since dedicated his distinguished career to righteous forensic digging that's unearthed abuses ranging from insider trading to mortgage fraud to the doctoring of bond ratings during the financial crisis. Okay, so this gets to the heart of the latest. And the headline of this story, and you can subscribe to Fortune, and the headline is, there's a wild theory that the price of Bitcoin has been propped up, and this academic, the academic, this is Griffin, who proved manipulation in 2017, suspects it may be happening again. So what I'm trying to say is these three articles I've referred to or, well, two articles and then the rebuttal from uh, to Munger. I think they're all tied at the financial hip in some ways. You'll have to decide that for yourself. As Griffin and Eamon Shams, then a doctoral candidate at McCombs, who's joined Griffin in several gumshoe investigations. I love the writing here. Screened for misdeeds in 2017. They were fascinated to see that a little-known token that's supposed to be backed one for one to the dollar was getting printed in large quantities. That clue led the pair to another. When new batches appeared, the price of Bitcoin seemed to jump. It looked like someone, the article says, or a group was using that freshly printed free money to inflate Bitcoin's price for their own profit. The article goes on. He and his co-author Shams sifted through an incredible... 200 gigabytes of trading data equal to the troves that the Smithsonian Institution collects in two years and followed sales and purchases from 2.5 million separate wallets. Then in 2018, the article says they co-authored a groundbreaking study showing that a single, still unidentified Bitcoin whale almost single-handedly drove the token's giant run-up in late 2017 and early 2018 by distorting the trading in the token. It goes on toward the end of 2022. Another mystifying trend caught Griffin's eyes. Despite the crypto crash and myriad other negative forces, the article says, Every time Bitcoin briefly breached the 16,000 floor, it bounced above that level and kept stubbornly trading between 16,000 and 17,000. Almost unbelievably, the article says, as the crypto market has continued to unravel in 2023, Bitcoin has gone in the opposite direction, trading up 35% since January to $23,000. It's very suspicious, Griffin told Fortune. The same mechanism he said we saw in 2017 could be at play now in the still unreal Bitcoin market. 
Well, that's it. We're done with Bitcoin and crypto for now. We'll come back to it. Might bring on an expert sometime. I find all of this fascinating. I'm staying away from Bitcoin, crypto. I think they're all utter disasters. Um, I'm not saying that the blockchain is a disaster. I'm not saying that the industry hasn't some good people working in the ranks. I'm not saying that some of the platforms have evil people working in the ranks. I've spoken to some of them, I've interviewed some of them. They might be onto something that I'm missing, but for now, I'm done. I'm done with crypto and Bitcoin. And until next week, take good care of yourselves. And we'll be back with a very special guest next week. I'm tempted to actually give a clue here. Well, I'm going to give some clues on some of my guests coming up. I have the bureau chief from Brebert News joining me on a, an episode soon. I have an interview with Dr. Charles Nemeth. Um, he's written a fascinating book on, on happiness. And then I have another episode coming up with a psychologist out of London who we also talks about the rise in anxiety in the world. And he tells me about all the clients he's seen, a lot of young people. And this particular psychologist has a very storied background and career. He trained as a monk for nine months. We'll just leave it at that. Until next week, take care. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. That's BurnDesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com. BurnDesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.